before we start, or keep the passage before you, but before we start, one thing I encourage you all to do is, at some point tonight, or maybe next week, or at some point, thank the band for serving you every single week. I don't know of another band at another church more committed than this band. So please say thanks. You really appreciate how they lead you in worship at some point tonight or next week or sometime. My heart overflows with thanks for their work. Um, Let's pray before we get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. We pray that you help us see how you have sought us out, how you have saved us, the lost. Please give us clarity and help us sing with praise to your name as a result. Amen. A popular writer and author conducted a survey that centred on one question. The question that this survey centred on was, if you could say in one word... What was uh, if you can say sorry if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? If you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? I want you to think for a second. What would it be? I'd love to hear your answer at some point. There were seven hundred participants in this survey, and the top five responses were one, happiness, two, money. Three, freedom. Four, peace. And five, joy. The author concluded, What's so intriguing to me is that it's becoming more and more obvious that the things we desperately long for today are not only universal and timeless, but also have become even more elusive and impossible to sustain. Now, this passage in Luke's Gospel, the uh, passage from Luke chapter 19, um, will ask us, a similar question in a sort of offhanded way. What are you seeking? What are you seeking in life? What's most important to you? But the passage's focus is on God. The main focus of this passage is what's God seeking? What's God seeking in our world? And only after we discover that are we ready to answer the question what we um, should seek. Okay, so that's the passage for tonight. Tonight we're picking up on a sermon series that we started a few months ago in the Gospel of Luke. A few months ago, you might remember the Walking with Jesus series that we did. We looked at chapters 16 to 18 and we called it Walking with Jesus because, oh sorry, on the road with Jesus, on the road with Jesus because Jesus was making his way resolutely toward Jerusalem. From Luke chapter 19, he had set his face towards Jerusalem because he'd come on, uh, to earth with a mission and that would be accomplished in Jerusalem. And in chapters 16 to 18, Jesus, as he was walking towards Jerusalem, taught us about prayer, taught us about generosity, he taught us about um, forgiveness. But now we're going to be focusing on chapters 19 and 20 of Luke's Gospel. And in these two chapters, Jesus will reach the city of Jerusalem. Jesus will reach Jerusalem, the destination that he set out on from chapter 9. And that's no ordinary moment in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke has been setting us up for this moment. So far in the Gospel, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is, in the flesh, the God who rescued Israel from Egypt. Jesus is, in the flesh, the God who uh, dwelt in Solomon's temple. 
Jesus is the God who left Jerusalem and Israel in Ezekiel after their sin. Jesus is God incarnate, but he's returning to Jerusalem. And that's why we've called it the series, When God Comes to Town. What will happen when the God of Israel, the God of all the earth, returns to the city that he'd called his own? That's where the gospel has us up to in its tension. But we can't get ahead of ourselves. Uh, This passage is in Jericho. So it's 25 kilometers from Jerusalem. So he's yet to reach Jerusalem. And in this passage, it's the last personal encounter that Jesus has before he reaches um, Jerusalem. And it's a bit of a summary passage. It, it sort of pulls together a lot of themes that Luke has, uh, has, dis- has sort of led us through in his gospel so far. And I'm going to read the passage through the last verse in the passage. So verse 10 summarizes the passage. Verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's a summary verse for the passage. So I'm going to read, I'll let that verse guide us tonight. So let's first focus on the word lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Look at me from verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now the name Zacchaeus means pure and innocent. But Zacchaeus was anything but pure and innocent. He was a tax collector and so you probably know that um, he was representing the the. Uh, oppressing nation, keeping Israel down. He was representing them and taking taxes on their behalf, often way more than they're meant to, and and they'd keep the profit. So he was a tax collector, but he was also a chief tax collector. So he'd he'd be skimming off the surface of the profits of all the other tax collectors. He was a chief tax collector. This guy was a bad guy. This this guy was known in the community. This guy guy is like the, um, I don't know, the drug lord (laughs) that we hear of in the news all the time. Um, I can't think of one at the moment. But this guy would have been known. This guy was a bad guy. But not only was he a chief tax collector, he was wealthy. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, being wealthy isn't necessarily a good thing. So from chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And in just the previous chapter, in chapter 18, Jesus says these famous words, It is easier... For a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. But of course it goes on, what is impossible for man is possible for God. But to be rich isn't necessarily a good thing. And here we have the rich chief tax collector who'd made a lifestyle of stealing from people. He thought he'd found a purpose in life. That was to become rich. But it looks as if he's realised, he's stopped and looked around and he's realised he's alone, desperately alone. He's lost. He wants to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was lost. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now before we move on to the next word, I want to ask you a question. Why does Jesus always seem to seek the lost, the immoral, the the people on the fringe of society, the people society love to hate? Why does Jesus always seek them in the gospel? I'd like to give you two reasons why Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost because if the lost can be saved, then it gives hope to anyone. 
If the lost can be saved, it gives hope to anyone. And so just for a moment, we all have that someone in our life. That someone who we think is way too far gone for God's grace. Who's way too far gone to a conversation about God. Who's that person for you? There's someone, I'm sure. I can think of someone. This passage prompts us to pray. If God would seek the lost Zacchaeus, then maybe, maybe he will seek this person. Fill in the blank. We should pray. So seeking the lost uh, shows us that no one's too far gone for God's love and grace. That's the first reason Jesus always goes towards the lost. Another reason is that it makes it in your face incredibly clear that receiving God's love, his grace, has nothing to do with us. Our lives, our actions, our supposed morality, seeking the lost makes it just totally incredibly clear that we are out of the equation when it comes to whether God will love us because these guys are so obviously the immoral. They haven't deserved it. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul says, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God, in Christ meeting Zacchaeus the lost, just, just reminds us, it draws a line in the sand. You, receiving God's love and grace, has nothing to do with your performance. And we need to hear this, even mature Christians. We can so easily begin to relate to God differently when we don't feel great about how we've lived. When we've been dry in our prayer life for months. When we haven't read the the Bible regularly for months. When we've fallen into that sin that we, we, we promised we wouldn't do. When we've fallen into it again for the 51st time. When that has happened, God's love for you is as blazingly strong as it always has been. And we need to see that for those moments. Jesus seeks the lost because it makes it blaringly clear that our worthiness is out of the equation when it comes to our relating to God. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost That's lost. Let's explore the word seek. When we think of God, it's really easy for us to sort of think of God as uh, many around us think of God, if they do think of him or believe in him at all. They sort of assume he's a long way away, he might be grumpy, and he's pretty much uninvolved in our lives. It's easy for us to sort of um, catch that way of thinking about God. But in verse 3 and in this passage, it's very clear that he's not that type of God. God is a seeking God. He's intimately involved in and with the creation. So verse 3, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, uh, who Jesus was, sorry, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, Zacchaeus was lost, as we've sort of explored, but he's got one thing going for him. Again, in the previous chapter, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, here we have in verse 3, short little Zacchaeus doing whatever it takes to see Jesus. Now, a man in that culture 
would never run. It was sort of shameful. And he ran. He ran up a fig tree. He climbed a tree to see Jesus. It was simple, childlike faith. He wanted to see Jesus, and so he did whatever it took to see him. And I think mentioning his height, and making a, quite a point of that, not only does it tell us that, uh, why he needed to climb the, the fig tree, but it does emphasize his childlike faith. Um, back in chapter 9, verse 48, uh, after interacting with children, Jesus interacting with children, Jesus said, um, He who is least among you shall be great. He who is least among you shall be great. Now, the word least is literally translated, he that is littlest among you shall be great. That's a bit of a side point, but I think Luke is sort of hinting here that he's showing childlike faith. But the focus of the passage is less on Zacchaeus' childlike faith and more on Jesus' resoluteness in approaching him. Jesus had been passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, but there was a spot in Jericho where he needed to stand, as, as if it was sort of preordained. And then with surprising directness, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, Zacchaeus must have wondered if, if he was in trouble for climbing the tree. But the ever-living God, the ever-living God who chose Zacchaeus in eternity past has come to the right moment to find that spot and to call Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus. I mean, how did he know his name? We don't know. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Jesus has a business to do. I must stay at your house today. I hope you're getting the sense here that God isn't far away. He's not a long way away, sort of leaving us like a watchmaker would leave a watch to tick. God is close. He is active in his world and his creation. And here we see him active in someone's life. One person's life, Zacchaeus' life. In, Paul, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption in accordance with his pleasure and will. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. I think in this little episode with Jesus and Zacchaeus, we're getting a bit of a, a storied form, a narrative form of that truth. God had chosen Zacchaeus, and the time had come to call him, to say, Zacchaeus, the time is right for me to stay with you. Zacchaeus isn't the only one who's been chosen. We, by the grace of God, have a story of how God has worked through a chain of events to bring us to himself. What are those chain of events for you? They're not arbitrary. They're not by chance. They're God sovereignly working in his world by his spirit, through the Son, calling you to himself. Was it through a friend of a friend who invited you to youth group that you eventually went to youth group and heard the gospel? Was it through a, a scripture teacher that God worked through, week-to-week uh, -week kindness that led you eventually, week, uh, years later, to go to a church and check it out? How has God worked through a chain of events to seek you? Because he has, and he's called us by name. God is not far away. He's intimately involved in our world. 
And here's a bit of a plug for our church vision, but I think uh, deservingly so. Here at St. Mark's, we pray. We pray that God will use us as a means by which other people will have an encounter with Jesus, just like Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus. So our, our, our vision at St. Mark's is sharing the gospel with all of fresh water, helping people to encounter, believe, and grow in Jesus. It's our prayer that God will use us as a means, as a link in the chain by which he calls someone to himself. That's a really exciting mission to be a part of. Because we'll see in a moment what God does when he seeks someone out. So we focused on the word seek and lost. Now we're going to focus on the word save. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 7 all the people saw um, this, what had happened, and began to mutter, Jesus had, has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Aussies, Australians, have a love affair with home renovations. We love seeing dumps turned into dream homes. We love seeing, you know, outdated... That's that's pretty cool. I don't mind the retro look. But we, we love seeing them change to look all slick and modern. Australians have a love affair with home renovations. Now, I was just talking about a God who um, seeks us, the eternal God who works in creation to, to call people to himself. Our God's a seeking God. But what does God do when he has us? It sounds a bit ominous. Is it like a predator seeking prey? Is God like a predator seeking prey? What's he going to do when he has us? Well, God will renovate us. Sorry. God will renovate us. To be clearer. The Holy God works in us. God turns dumps into pearls. He turns broken down, termite-infested lives into lives fit for him. And that's exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. God in Christ entered Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus was never the same again. From money extortionist, and stealing money, to being extraordinarily generous. From empty, to being filled with joy, from lost to found. That's what God does when he saves people. He renovates their hearts. Look, Lord, Zacchaeus says, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. This is what it means to be saved. Being freed from sin to live for our Lord Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. Free from sin and its punishment. To live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's no coincidence that Luke points out, uh, or that, that, that what Zacchaeus does is uh, related to money. Because in the Gospel of Luke, as I've sort of pointed out, Jesus has a lot to say about Je- uh, his disciples' use of money. It's a characteristic of Jesus' disciples to sit loosely with money. And he certainly does that here. 
To be saved means with the Spirit's help, untangled by sin, to live for Jesus to the glory of the Father. That's what it means to be saved. So you might remember, I started out the sermon with a survey which asked the question, if you could say in one word what you want more of in life, what would it be? Happiness? Money? Freedom? Joy? What would it be? What's one thing you want more of in life? Zacchaeus knew what he wanted. He wanted to see Jesus. But more importantly, Jesus knew what he wanted. And he wanted Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For all of us who follow Jesus, we were lost. We've been sought. We've been saved. We need to seek after the God who sought after us. And my prayer is that it might be obvious to all people around you that Jesus is the one you seek, first and foremost, by the way you live, by the way you speak, by the way you behave at school, by the, by the way you um, keep to your word, by the way you serve other people, by the way you love patiently and kindly and all those things. Your life should be evidence that you seek Jesus to please Him by the Spirit's help more than anything else. And you know what? In Jesus, freedom, peace, joy, well, God will take care of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have sought us out when we were lost, that you have worked in our lives through the details of our lives to, to bring us to yourself. We pray that you might use us as a church and individually to, to tell people of your love in the Lord Jesus, your grace, your mercy, to tell people that you are a seeking God who seeks people to return love to you. We pray these things through the name of Jesus. Amen.